The title of this sermon is Suffering in the Will of God. Suffering is a very difficult topic, but something that needs to be addressed in the church, and the Word has a lot to say about it. I just recently went through the book of Job, and man, there's just so much, so much truth, so much instruction, and yet so much mystery about suffering in the world. Corey and Betsy Tenboom were sisters and best friends who grew up in Harlem, Holland, in a strong Christian home. They were both middle-aged spinsters and living at home with their father as watchmakers when the Nazi occupation of Europe began. They became part of a nonviolent Nazi resistance, harboring and hiding Jews in their home called the Beye. They even had a secret room in the Beye with a secret door to hide the Jews should the Gestapo ever raid them. Corey, Betsy, and many other resistant workers had code words. They had secret signals to each other. They had disguises, uniforms. Sometimes the young men would dress up like girls and and ride their bicycles through Harlem, bringing messages to other resistance workers. They worked in espionage. Their object was to help protect others from capture, from deportation, and from the concentration in the death camps. Many times God worked miraculously and blinded the eyes of the enemy as they narrowly escaped discovery by the German police. But one day... One dreadful day, everything changed. 75 years ago, this coming Thursday, February 28, 75 years ago, the Gestapo raided the Beje, and the Ten Booms were thrust into an unimaginable world of suffering and cruelty. Their frail, kind-hearted father, the grand old man of Harlem with white hair and a white beard who commanded respect and attention, never turned anyone away from coming to the Beje that needed help, that needed assistance that needed a place to stay. He was a very godly and loving man. He was offered by the Gestapo chief. When the Gestapo chief saw him, he said, well, why did you arrest this old man? He's not a threat. And he called the old man, Corey and Betsy's father, to himself. And he said, old man, I will give you your freedom if you promise not to make any more trouble. And Betsy's father said, if I go home today, tomorrow I will open my door again to any man in need who knocks. Ten days later, The father of Harlem died in a prison hallway and was buried in a pauper's grave. Corey and Betsy were separated in their first prison camp, and later they were reunited on their journey to the women's concentration camp, the dreaded Robinsbrook. They were surrounded by starvation and horrible, filthy conditions, overcrowding, forced labor, and constant, heartless cruelty. But Corey and Betsy found hope in a miniature Bible they had smuggled into Ravensbrook that Betsy or Corey wore on a a string around her neck and it hung between her shoulder blades. They held secret Bible studies in their lice and flea-infested barracks. When they were moved to one of their permanent barracks in Ravensbrook, it was filthier than anything they had seen. It was overcrowded. Women were sleeping on top of each other, It smelled of sewage. It was absolutely awful. And when Betsy and Corey came in, Corey noticed something pinched her. She looked down and and she saw fleas, biting fleas and lice. Corey was more the heavyset, the strong-bodied woman. Betsy was a frail, tender, beautiful woman, such a tender heart toward God, both women of God. And Corey said, how can we be living in this? And Betsy said, there's something to be thankful for, for even here. She said, remember what we read, be thankful in all things, not some things, but in all things. And Corey looked at Betsy, astonished, thinking, how can we be thankful for the fleas? And Betsy said, let's thank God for the fleas. 
Later they found out that the fleas were really an answer to prayer because the prison guards and the cruel headmasters wouldn't even venture into their barracks because, because they didn't want to get fleas. They didn't want to get the lice. So God, in his sovereignty, even worked that out for their good. They were able to have Bible studies and prayer meetings. And they said it was like heaven came down in the midst of this darkness, in the midst of unconscionable suffering. Heaven came down. They said they would read the Bible in Dutch and it would get translated and passed back in German and in French and in Polish and all the other languages. And then it would come back around to Dutch. She said it was incredible. It wasn't reading about the Word of God. It was the Word of God with us in our suffering. One On one of their endless roll calls, they'd be called to stand out at 4 a.m. out in front of the barracks, lined up in ranks, standing there for hours as their numbers were called. No one had a name. They were all number, number 603-778. And they would stand in the cold, and they would stand in the heat, and they would stand and they would pound their feet to try to keep themselves warm in the winter. And one morning, they had seen such cruelty. One morning, a feeble-minded girl in front of them, in front of Betsy and Corey, soiled herself. And one of the prison guards, known as the snake, saw it. And when she saw it, she took the handle of her leather whip and she beat the girl, beat the girl, beat the girl, till she stopped making noise. Corey said, she whispered to her sister, when the guards stepped away, we need to do something after the war to help these people. And Betsy said, yes, sister. I pray for this every day. Every day I pray that we might show them that the love of God is greater. Every day I pray. Corey went off to her duties, and later she realized that Corey was thinking about the feeble-minded. She had a heart for people that were disabled to help them and to love them. But Betsy was thinking about the prison guards. Betsy was thinking about showing God's love and mercy to these who were so cruel. As winter of 1944 wore on, Betsy grew weaker and more sickly, but she continued to have dreams of working with Corey after the war to help heal others with the love of Jesus in practical ways. She said, I see a, a new house, a mansion, this huge house, and it has tall windows and little statues in it, and, and it's got many rooms, and we're going to bring people in, and we're going to love on them, and we're going to teach them how to garden, and they're going to see things grow, and they're going to heal from the war. They're going to see flowers, and it's going to help them heal. We're going to show them the love of God. And Corey turned her and saw how sick she was, and she said, Together, sister? They were best friends. Are you saying that God's showing you that this is going to happen? We're going to be together? And Betsy said, yes, Corey, together. Always together. Always together. They loved each other so much. A few days later, she said, our release is soon, Corey. The Lord's shown me. By the new year, we'll be released. And Betsy was right. She died a few days after Christmas. She was released from Robinsbrook. She went to be with her father. She went to be with the Lord. And Corey was released on New Year's Day. She found out later, Corey being released from Robinsbrook and going back to Holland, that it was a clerical error that she was released. All the other women her age, one week later, were killed in Robinsbrook. How Corey must have struggled with that. My sister, I thought she was coming with me out of Robinsbrook. I thought we were going to minister to the world the love of Jesus. But Betsy did minister. You see, it says of Abel and his sacrifice that even though he was dead, he still speaks. And Betsy, even though she was physically dead, her message, her life, her willingness to, in suffering, call upon a loving God and to praise Him and thank Him and see His miracles in the midst of darkness was spread throughout the whole world because Corey took her message of God's love being greater than the suffering and the darkness of this world 
She took it all around the world. This frail little old Dutch woman traveled and spoke to so many people. She spoke in prisons. She spoke in churches. She spoke wherever she had opportunity. And she shared that overcoming message that God is with us in suffering. She said to Corey before she died, tell them, there is no pit that his love is not deeper still. She said, they will listen to us, Corey, because we have been here. <sighs> suffering and death were not in God's original creation, nor will they be in the new heavens and the new earth. Revelation 21, 1 and 4 says, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away. Glory to God. God says that what he's going to do for his children is he's going to take away all pain, all sickness, all suffering. There will be no more death or crying, but he himself will wipe away tears from our eyes. The current state of existence we live in is not the final plan, friends. It is passing away, and the new heavens and the new earth where Christ reigns are coming soon. All suffering and disease and death can be traced back to one act of disobedience by our first parents in the garden. Right? God made things lovely. He made things perfect. But man's sin made things crooked and twisted. God made man upright. But sin made him selfish and hateful, leading to fighting and murder, war, and genocide. Romans 5 tells us, By one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. We're not there yet, guys. We're not home yet. There is suffering in this world. There is death in this world. There are things we don't understand. But there's coming a day when all this will pass away. And God is saying, look to that. Look to me now and look to what I have in future for you. Paul also tells us in Romans that all of creation was infected by this one act of rebellion. He tells us that the whole of creation is groaning in pain like a woman in labor until now. But there is a promise that even the creation will be delivered from this bondage of suffering and decay. Disease, decay, and death were not in God's creation, but will surrender to God's plan of redemption. In earth's fallen state, tooth and claw and sword reign. In the new creation, even the lion and the lamb will lie down and feed together. There will be peace even in God's creatures. God's plan from the beginning was to redeem man and his creation from the terrible consequences of sin. His plan was to give up his only beloved son, the darling of heaven, and to send him into the world, into the hands of wicked men who would beat and abuse and mock and crucify him. But what was his purpose? His purpose was that so his son would defeat sin and death, so that we could be saved eternally and live with him in glory. We understand that Christ's redemptive work at the cross was complete when he cried out and said, it is finished. But the effects of that finished work are fulfilled in stages in God's sovereign time. We know that God's word says Christ defeated Satan at the cross, Yet we know that he's still now loose on the earth, deceiving people, wreaking havoc, until the appointed time where he is cast into the lake of fire. Christ redeemed all creation at Calvary, yet we still see death and suffering all around us. Why? 
Because God has a perfect timing to fulfill all of Christ's victory at the cross. Listen, we are saved the moment we believe on Jesus Christ to save us from our sins. But the fulfillment of the promise of a new body and eternal life in heaven, we wait for it, don't we? We don't get it immediately. We get the Holy Spirit. We get the promises of God. We get forgiveness of sin. We get so many riches in Christ. But there's also things that we have to wait for. Our redemption was purchased, but it's like an inheritance. Have you ever heard of a really rich person who has a huge inheritance and they, they want to give it to their children, but they don't give it all at once? They say, okay, when they turn 18, we're going to give them X amount of dollars. And then when they turn 24, they get another bestowment. And then when they turn 30 and so forth, right? They have to wait for the fulfillment of that inheritance. It's all theirs, right? But they don't experience it. They don't get the draw on it right away. We receive many blessings immediately, but others we patiently wait for. Believers are not immediately released to glory, but we're called to walk by faith as pilgrims through this broken world. Listen, all people on this earth will experience suffering in this life. Loss, pain, sickness, sorrow, and eventually death. I think the hardest thing to bear is the death of a loved one. I think the hardest thing to bear is the death of someone close to you. And friends, the truth is, all of us will face this, right? At different times in our lives. If we outlive the people we love, we will experience that loss, that separation. But God is a God of reunion. God is a God that brings back together in His Son. Believers are different from unbelievers in that we are promised that though we'll go through trials and suffering, God doesn't say, you, you become a believer and now you walk this rose-covered path and everything is easy for you and everything is wonderful. No. Jesus said, in this world you'll suffer tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Believers are promised that God will walk with us through our trials. Through our trials. Isaiah 43, 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. Neither will the flame kindle upon you. God said, I'm going to buffer and mitigate your sufferings. And the, and the greatest thing that does that is his presence. It's that he walks with us. That he comforts us. The only way that Corey and Betsy maintain their sanity and were able to be full of joy and peace is because Jesus was with them in the midst of the suffering that they saw, in the midst of everything they went through, they lived in simplicity. Jesus, help us. Help that woman. Come, Lord Jesus, help us. And they sensed his tangible presence and peace. What a comfort. What a promise of relief. We will face suffering, but he will buffer it by his own presence. I want to share a scripture here that some will not like, but it is God's word. Philippians 1.29 says, For to you it has been granted on the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. That word granted is used in other places like it's a privilege. Listen to that again. It's been granted to you not only to believe on Jesus Christ, but also to suffer for him. Listen, you won't hear this preached today by the prosperity preachers. They are worthless counselors, like Job's friends. Remember Job? Remember that in one day he lost everything, his children, his wealth, he was the greatest man in the land of the east. And in one day, all his camels, all his cattle, all his horses, and all his children, sons and daughters, were slain or stolen in one day. His wife said, why do you hold on to your integrity? Curse God and die. What are you holding on for? God's given up on you. He said, shall we receive good from the Lord and not evil? This man had incredible integrity. 
incredible faith. And this, we believe, was before the law was even given. He didn't understand what was going on. He didn't know why he was suffering. He thought God was coming against him. He didn't see the background picture that Satan had come and walked before God and said, and God had said, do you see my servant Job? He's upright. There's none like him in the earth. He says, well, take, let's take away his stuff. Let's take away the things. He serves you because you blessed him so much. Take away that stuff and he'll curse you to your face. And God said, take away, but don't touch his life. Job didn't know that. In fact, there's nothing in the rest of Job that shows us that he ever came to know that. He never really got the why. And that's the question we ask when we're suffering, isn't it? Why, God? Are you mad at me? Did I sin? Are you punishing me for some sin in the past? Is there some secret thing I don't know about? Please, God, show me. And that's what Job did. And you know what his friends, they were old men. They were supposed to be wise counselors. You know what they did? They came and they basically said, Job, there's some sin in your life because if you were right with God, you'd still have all your wealth. You'd still have all your children. You'd still be blessed. That's what they told him. The same thing the prosperity teachers say today. They say, come in, I invite you to follow God and to worship God and become a follower of God because then you'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise. You'll be rich. That's not what God's Word says. There are blessings to following God, and you may get wisdom from God and become wealthy, but you may not. You will for certain suffer following this suffering Christ. You will suffer. But he said, be of good cheer. I will walk with you. I have overcome the world. Those friends said, if you were pure and upright, surely now God would awake for you and make the habitation of your righteousness prosperous. Job said, you're not speaking the truth, and I'm going I'm to speak against you. And God, in the end, said, you have not spoken of me what is right as Job, my servant, has. You need to go and, and make a sacrifice, an offering to him, and he'll pray for you. Wow. Essentially, Job's friends believe that if you live right with God, you won't suffer, but you'll always be blessed. But you know what Job said when he was in that state of not understanding why everything was lost? Not only did he lose his family, his wealth, the second thing Satan tested him on was what? His health. That's a tough trial, isn't it? He said, skin for skin. Touch his body. Touch his flesh. Let me touch him. He'll curse you to your face. God said, okay, you can take his health, but don't take his life. And Job became very sick. He scraped with pottery, his boils. He couldn't even eat. He was extremely sick. He wouldn't curse God. He said, though he slay me. I don't understand. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Think about that. It's like the three Hebrew children in the fire. They said, we're not, bow we're not bowing down to your, your gold idol, Nebuchadnezzar. We serve a God that will deliver us. And even if he doesn't, we are not going to bow down. We're going to still follow him. That's what Job said. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Jesus said, greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus was referring to himself laying down his life for us, for the world. But it also applies to us as believers. There's no greater love we can show each other than to sacrifice and to love one another as Christ loved us. In Acts 16, Paul and Silas were severely beaten and cast into a Philippian jail because Paul had cast a demon out of a servant girl. Do you remember the story? This is my main text here. Paul and Silas were ministering in Philippi, and, they were, and this girl, this little girl, went around saying, these men are servants of the Most High God, and they're showing you the way to be saved. She was demon-possessed. And that spirit of divination, which she was a slave girl, her masters used that girl to make money because she could tell the future. Imagine if you had a person that could tell the future what you could do. And Paul tolerated it for a time, and then eventually turned around, and he said to that spirit in that little girl, he said, come out of her in the name of Jesus. The demon came out of her, and the people that, were the, the, that owned the slave girl didn't rejoice that she was now free from this demon who had tormented her. 
they were furious that they had lost their means of income. And they took Paul and Silas and they brought them before the magistrates. They said, these men are teaching things that are unlawful for us to do. And they took Paul and Silas, they didn't even have a fair trial, and they beat them bloody and cast them into the inner prison. Look at it, we'll pick it up at verse 23. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely who having received such a charge thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight, Paul... Well, just stop there. What would you do if you were serving God and you had done some good work in the name of Jesus and the result was you were falsely accused, beaten with many stripes, cast into a prison with, with stocks? And this is not like the prison that I go minister to. This is not a nice little 10 by 14 foot room where they get three square a day and you, know, you get pretty much all your needs met. This is a, a Philippian ancient prison that was very harsh. What would you do? Would you begin to say, God, why me? Why are you allowing this suffering? I'm serving you. I don't deserve this. I, I'm doing good for you. And I get beaten, thrown into a prison? I want to be honest, that'd be my natural reaction. But you know what they did? They began to pray. Look at verse 24. No, 25. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. Praise God. You know, they turned their affection, their hearts toward God, and prayer started to turn into thanksgiving, kind of like Betsy and, and Corey in that Robinsbrook concentration camp. They're, we've got to be thankful here. And it said the prisoners heard them. Verse 26, And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. Hallelujah. You see, when we praise God in suffering, God releases power. It doesn't mean that every time that you praise God in your suffering that your prayer will be answered or that the chains will fall off. But I guarantee you this, God will meet you in power. He will meet you. He met Paul and Silas. Their chains fell off. You know what I would have done? I would have said, let's get out of here. Let's scoot. But they didn't. They knew that if they ran out that that jailer who had tied their their shackles would be executed immediately. As soon as the other government officials found out, the Romans, he would have been executed. Look at this. Paul had such the heart of God, the love of God. Look what it says. Verse 27. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep, seeing the prison doors open, drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing the prisoners had fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. And they spoke unto him the word of the Lord and all that were in his house. And he took them, or the jailer took them, the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all of his straightway or immediately. I don't know if the jailer was part in the beating. I don't know. He may have been. But he was certainly part in his imprisonment. Imagine the heart of God in Paul that in the midst of suffering says, God, you have a purpose for this. You have a purpose for this, and I'm going to praise you. I don't see it yet. I don't know what it is. Aha, there it is. The shackles fell off, and there's the prison guard ready to kill himself. There's your purpose, God. And the man came in and said, basically he said, I've never seen anything like this. You guys were beaten for no crime. You sing praises to your God when you're, when you're suffering, and now you're waiting around because you're concerned about a Philippian jailer's life? He came in and he said, what must I do to be saved? This God is real. This God is true. What must I do to be saved? And he went from putting them into the stocks to washing their wounds. 
Amazing. Amazing. Friend, I don't understand all the purposes of suffering. I don't. But Corey Ten Boom said this once. She said, have you ever seen a cross stitch? How many of you cross stitch? A few of you. I did it actually as a kid. <laughs> she said, our suffering is like a cross stitch. It's like turning the cross stitch over backwards. And on that piece of fabric, all you see is the strings of different colors going every which way. It just looks like a jarbled mess. That's how we see the sufferings in our life. But she said, then you turn it over and you see the beautiful artwork of some picture that was intentional. Paul was told at the beginning of his ministry that he would suffer great things for Christ's name. And he did. Many things he suffered. Shipwrecks. He was stoned. He was beaten with rods three times. He had scars on his body that he could say, these are my marks of Jesus Christ. Don't anybody give me a hard time. I bear the marks of Christ in my body. He said at one point in Corinthians, he said, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raises the dead. One of the purposes of suffering is to cause us to look to God. It's to cause us to say, God, I need help. I can't trust in myself. My own resources aren't enough. And Paul experienced that over and over again. He was under tribulation and suffering sometimes. He said, sometimes the trials were so great, he despaired even of life. He doubted whether he would live through it, and perhaps he even thought death was better. Paul's suffering stripped him of all self-trust and deepened his faith in God who raises the dead. Listen, listen to this verse. We have the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, past tense, and doth deliver, present tense, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver. Paul said he delivered us from a great death. He was speaking, I believe, of the spiritual death, of being dead in sins, of being separated from God because of his sins. He said God delivered us from that, and he's delivering us today from the trials and the tribulation we face. He delivered me out of the lion's mouth, Paul said in 2 Timothy. And he said, and I trust that he will yet deliver us in the future. He's going to give us more deliverance. I love that. He will yet deliver us. Friends, when you are in a trial, when you are in suffering, if you get cancer, if someone you love is sick, cry out to God for help. He said in Psalm 50, call unto me in the day of trouble, and I will answer you, and you will glorify me. Call unto God. Ask Him for healing. Ask Him for help. No matter what, He is God who raises the dead. We should seek God for relief in our trials and suffering, but our highest attitude, listen, our highest attitude in suffering should be to seek God's glory no matter the outcome. What do we do when we believe God for deliverance or for a healing? And God does not answer how we ask him to. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11 if you have your Bibles. Hebrews 11. Are you getting this? Are you understanding this? Are you getting something out of this? Listen, Hebrews 11 is the chapter of faith. It talks about all these great things that men like Abraham and Noah and David and Daniel did for God, because they trusted God. They looked to God. They believed Him. Look at verse 33. It says, Who through faith they subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. Remember Daniel in the lion's den. They quenched the violence of the fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant or courageous in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Hallelujah! Right? That's what we want to hear. This strengthens our faith. All these victories through God. Look at the transition here. And others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. 
And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. And they wandered in deserts and in caves and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. You see, there was a final promise of a resurrection that they didn't receive yet, but they were looking for it. They were hoping for it, and they were holding fast for it. We like the part of the victory, you know, the part before verse 35. But God said, in others, these also had a testimony of faith. And I believe a, even a greater faith. To endure and to persevere and to stay faithful to God when you're suffering and you don't understand it, to me that's incredible faith. That's what God is looking for. But we can only do it, friends, through trusting in Him. Don't think here, oh, I'm worried about what suffering might come into my life. Don't think about your future suffering. God gives us grace for what we're going to face at the time, right? He doesn't give us grace for tomorrow, today. He gives us grace for today, today. Listen, why are we as Christians, why are we afraid of death? Why do we, why do we think of it as a defeat when a brother or sister has cancer and they go on to be with the Lord? That's a resurrection, that's a better resurrection. That's the final resurrection. Paul said we believe that God has delivered us, is delivering us, and will deliver us. Whether it's answering our prayer for a cure, whether it's delivering us from our present circumstances, or bringing us to that final deliverance and resurrection. Listen to what Paul said in Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword... Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. Listen, death is separation. It's separation from the body and the spirit. But for the believer, it's only a thin veil of bringing us into reunion with God and with those that we love that have gone on before us in Jesus. Amen? Death is not something to be feared. Did you know that in Corinthians it also says, all things are yours, even death is yours? Jesus has conquered death. Jesus has conquered the sting of death, which is separation. You know what the pain of death is? If one of my children were to die, the pain would be, they're not near me anymore. They're separated from me, right? That would be horrible. That would be a trial I can't imagine. But listen, I would have the hope that I will be reunited with them, that I will be with them again in glory. The world doesn't have that hope. That's why it says when our loved ones pass on, we still sorrow, but not as the world sorrows. We have hope of a better resurrection. Jesus says, I've, I've conquered death. I've conquered the grave. I've conquered suffering. Trust me, I will be with you and walk with you through the water, through the fire, I'll be with you so that you can bear it. Corey and Betsy had prayed for both of them to be released from Ravensbrook and to work together to spread the incredible healing love of Jesus. But we know that without question, the effect and power of Betsy's life passed, continued the time of her death. And it's still working today. I was reading that book at night, last night after I prepared the sermon, and I was weeping. I'm telling you, I am not a weeping guy. I'm a former Marine. I, my kids say they rarely ever see me cry. I was weeping. Why? 
Because this frail woman displayed the life and love and power of Jesus in a way I want to. I say, God, work that in me. Work that in me. Corey died in 1983 on her 91st birthday, having traveled the world with a message of love deeper than the deepest pit. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4.17, for our light affliction. Paul said, all the things I've gone through, the beatings, the stripes, the scars, the being left for dead when I was stoned, he considered it a light affliction. I'd be like, wow, that's really heavy. He said, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, it's just temporal, it's just this life, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. One of the purposes of God in working, God doesn't cause the suffering, but he works through it. And his purpose is to create glory, to release the glory of Christ in our lives, the fragrance of Jesus, like Corey and Betsy had. Do you remember when Peter and Jesus were on the beach and, and Peter had, a, had been restored? And Jesus said to Peter, you know, Peter, a day is coming when somebody's going to take you by the hand and lead you where you don't want to go. When you were young, you went where you wanted to go. And isn't that true about young people? They just go where they want, or at least they want to. He said, but now when you're old, someone will take you by the hand and lead you to where you don't want to go. And he said, this he said referring to the kind of death you would glorify Christ with. Friends, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Listen, Peter said, he turned around, he looked around, he saw, he saw John, you know, the guy that laid his head on Jesus' breast at the supper. He saw John, he said, what about him? And Jesus said, I'm just paraphrasing here, so don't hold me fast on my Greek. He said, what about John? And he said, what is that to you? If I will that he remains or stays until I return, what is that to you? Jesus didn't say I'm going to make him stay alive till I return. He just said, if I choose to let him live until I return, until those years pass, what is that to you? He said to Peter, follow me. He said, keep your eyes on me. Don't look at others and what they're suffering or not suffering. Don't compare yourself with others. Keep your eyes on me. I will be the one to give you the grace. I'll be the one to give you the help. Keep your eyes on me, Peter. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for uh, my friends who prayed for me for this sermon that I wouldn't get in the way, but that, Jesus, you'd be seen. And I pray that that is what has happened, God, that, Jesus, you'd be lifted up, that your glory would be lifted up. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you'd draw us closer to you, that you'd help us to understand that suffering is not because you're angry at us, God. We thank you, God, for this time. Help us to understand these things as much as we can, God. We can never fully comprehend these things, but as much as we can, help us to have understanding and to draw closer to you, Jesus, because you have the words of life. In Jesus' name, amen.